turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. This has been the verse where we've started, Matthew 9. We're going to talk some more here today about plentiful or plenteous. And we're going to look here in the um, 36th verse. 936, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. This is Jesus for them because he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. This was not a natural shepherd that the people needed, but what they needed was a spiritual shepherd. Jesus knew it. He had just met some needs in their life, some wonderful things that happened, miracles, but he recognized these people are wore out, they need a help, they need a savior, and he didn't just say, well, they'll find it on their own, they'll find their own way, let them to their own, let them, you know, because there's parents like that. They'll say, well, I just don't want to force my kid to come to church, you know, they're in third grade. Your kid would sit and watch TV, cartoons, and eat Cocoa Puffs all day long if it was left to him or her, right? Or Lucky Charms, one of them. And so, you know, parents would never let their kids do that, would they? I hope not. No, just go, no, that, no. <laughs> well, why in the world do parents go, well, I'm just going to let my kids learn on their own what, what there is to learn about God? No, there's a devil out there and there's false stuff out there. So why leave it to the world to do what God told us to do with our children? And so Jesus saw the need here, and uh, he didn't just say, well, they'll figure it out. You know, I'm here. I've been here. No, he said he saw them and their need, and so he said their sheep, and the reason he was moved is they were sheep or people without a savior or sheep without a shepherd. And so then he said in verse 37 to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers, the people who will bring in the harvest are few. If they were few back then, they may be few today. If the harvest isn't coming in, and what is the harvest? Lost people. Then people are not being reached. People are not being told. And, uh, you know, there's some statements that go around the church that you'll hear things like this. Let your good works preach for you. And if you need to, then say something. Anybody ever heard that? Something like that? Put your hand up. Thank you. Just didn't want to act like I was the only one that knew that. So a number of people have heard that. That's so unscriptural, it's not funny. Now, we do know we should have good works, but Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and do good works, and if you need to, preach. He didn't even say, go into all the world and do good works. He said, go into all the world and tell people. Bring them. And that's what he did here. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then the very next verse, he sent his people out. Well, what motivates God and what motivated God and motivated Jesus, motivated the disciples? What should motivate us? Somebody reached me 
somebody reached you and told you, what motivates people? I mean, we could have a real sense of heaven and a real sense of hell and recognize the reality of ourselves, but what really should motivate every individual? Now, you can hear a message and it can stir you, rightfully so. But there should be something underlying in every individual that motivates them all the time. That's just there till the day we go to be with the Lord. And it should be there. And, but what is it? Turn to Acts 6 chapter. There was an early disciple in the church, uh, wasn't even a preacher, so to speak, uh, you know, like a full-time person, but he, he just loved God. He was a believer, and uh, he served tables. So you could say he helped in the ministry of the early church. And when I first read my Bible after I got saved, there was nobody I wanted to meet more when I died, when I went to heaven, than this guy right here. Nobody. I read about Paul. I've read about John. I've read about the disciples. You know, obviously I wanted to see Jesus, but I've got a relationship with him now. And you can too, and I'm sure most of you or a lot of you do. But I wanted to meet this guy. I thought, if there's anybody, because people, I'd hear people say, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet this guy. I wanted to meet this guy that we're about to look at because he so fascinated me beyond anybody I read. It was, you know, I come from living in the world, living just mean and not nice and addicted to things, to giving my life to the Lord and all of a sudden uh, having a faith toward God, wanting to share with the world. I got delivered from alcohol and drugs and all kinds of stuff and never gone back and I ain't going back. And I'll tell you, I was so excited. I was like, man, and, and I had some things in me that I didn't tell people. I never did. I rarely ever talk about it. There's some things that happened. All of a sudden, I had a love I never had, and I had always thought, and I would imagine this. I would think, man, if I could die for other people to substitute just so they could go to heaven, I would do it. I used to, th I used to think like that. And I didn't know anybody thought like that, so I never would tell people. Never. Because I thought people would think you're weird. If I could substitute just so others could go, I, I want this for them. And then I read this guy, the story about this guy. And his story is not long in the Bible. But Acts 6, there's this guy who serves tables who's introduced a couple chapters before in the church, early church, you could say this. He was an usher. He was a greeter type thing. He worked in a, in a ministry aspect. He was, just, he was serving in the early church. And just like we have qualifications, we tell you, go through the next step class. You know, be faithful and, and, and we'll get you plugged in and help serve and work in the kingdom of God and make a difference. Well, they had qualifications, and it tells his qualifications. You know, how he was filled with the Spirit and had faith and all these different things. And uh, this one day, he uh, started preaching or sharing some stuff to some people because the early church got persecuted, and these, they got kind of spread out. But everywhere they went, 
they would share Jesus with people. And so this is kind of where Stephen is. He's in the middle of this persecution and these things are happening. In Acts, the sixth chapter, the 11th through 15th verse, it makes some interesting statements here about Stephen. Then they secretly uh, induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words. In other words, they got false witnesses. People are doing that today accusing people of stuff falsely all over the place in the media. Then they come to find out it's not true. The same people get other people to accuse people of other junk. We should not accept accusations. You know, our government was set up on innocent until proven guilty. Now people are talking trash about all these people, and you're guilty until proven guilty innocent. How would you like that for you? Thank God God's not like that. Our country is founded on Christian principles, and that's why it's like that. And we should be that way with people. We should believe good about people, even though we know some people are not good. Thank you. Aren't you glad that's not how Jesus came to the earth? For only the good ones. He wouldn't have come. From his standpoint, nobody was good. But his, from his standpoint, he loved the world so much, he wanted to take care of business for everyone. And so in the 11th verse, it said, Then, then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. In other words, against the Bible and the things of God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes. These were religious people. And they came upon him and seized him. This man named Stephen, who was just trying to share the gospel. And they brought him to the council. So these people got all stirred up falsely against this guy. And I'll tell you what. To me, when I first read this, I was like, that's cool, man. This guy was standing up for the Lord. He, he didn't care, and he didn't back down. I, 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 when I read this, I thought, oh, I'm ready to read more. You with me? And they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and against the law or what we would call the Bible. So he's speaking against the religious authority or against our church and against the Bible, you know, against their beliefs. And these are false accusations. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us, or we would say in the Old Testament. Now think about it. They're speaking totally blasphemous lies, and they're so mad because their previous religious structure is being damaged by Jesus and his followers, meaning they're losing followers, they're, that people are receiving Jesus. So they're all bent out of shape, some of the greatest persecution in the world is religious persecution. 
Remember one time Jesus and Luke, he said, when these people that were killed, he said, were they any more evil than others? And what had happened, he talked about their blood being mingled in sacrifice, that these people took these people and they, out of religious persecution, killed them and sacrificed them. He said, were those people any more evil than the rest of the people on the earth? He said, I say not. Some things that happen to people, it's not because they're evil. It's we live in an evil world. And it, these things were not happening to him. But I don't know about you, when I read this next verse, I was like, this is pretty awesome. He's, he's getting taken before the council, which is the law of their day. And all who sat at the council, all these people who were flat lying about him, talking against him, and he's just loving them enough to tell them the truth. It said, and all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. I mean, they're all lying about him, and all of a sudden this guy's face starts looking like when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, and he started glowing like light, like an angel. That started, that's, that happened in the Old Testament, and now it's happening in the New Testament, and they're all watching this. Isn't it amazing God can be dealing with people, and people can still persist in wrong? Now, we shouldn't freak out because sometimes God's dealt with us and we've persisted. There were less amens than when it was them. Because, you know, if somebody says amen, they might, well, maybe they're talking, they think I'm talking about myself. You should have said amen and pointed at your neighbor. Amen. That's talking to you right there. No. All who sat at the council looked steadfastly, saw his face as the face of an angel. Talk about uh, preaching and having an illustrated sermon. I believe in God. I believe this. And, pre and all of a sudden your face turns and shines like an angel. There's a reason why they put samples out at Costco. So you don't have to eat lunch. No, so you can try it and then go eat it or buy it, right? And so, I mean, you think about it, how God knew what was going on here and these people are lying against his servant. If anybody could have said, you know what I'm going to do right now? God could have sat up there and said, click, turn the power off. Don't let them know. Don't let them see. Don't let them experience anything. They're picking on my servant right now. But just like Stephen was moved with love, God was moved with love, and he flipped the switch, and all of a sudden this light came on. The world are hating him, hating his servant, and God allows them to see the glory of God. How about us? What if we were God? Turn it off. Stop that. They're treating him wrong. Cut the power. Don't let them see this. Well, I mean, nobody here, but I mean, you know, at other Christians. What am I getting at? 
the thing that motivated Stephen was the thing that motivated God. And even in this tremendous time of persecution, God didn't say, okay, cut the power. He said, I want them to know. Now, we, we read that, and it says in the very next verse, you know, in the next chapter, if you read, Stephen gives one of the longest sermons mentioned in the New Testament right here. Longer than anyone Paul had or anything. It's right here. And he just goes through scripture after scripture from the Old Testament into the New Testament, talking about Jesus from the Bible, proving to these religious people that what they're saying is wrong about him. And this is what the Word of God says. And he's just preaching with power. And what's so wild is, if you'll go to that next chapter, the seventh chapter, he preaches for 50-something verses, 53. Me reading that might be longer than my sermon this morning. He's going at it. But verse 54, we're going to pick up there. He's at the end of his sermon, and it said, And when they heard these things... So remember, how does this message start? He's been preaching. They're attacking him. His face shows, shows like an angel. That didn't even move him. God's dealing with them, and it didn't even move him. But it didn't stop God from doing it. And then he preaches and preaches and teaches through this tremendous message. And then in verse 54, it said, When they had heard these things, you could say, and saw his face like an angel. They were cut to the heart. The word was so powerful, it cut beyond their mind and got inside of them to where they all knew, this is it. Matter of fact, these same terms are used when Peter preached and other people and they would preach. And when they got cut to the heart, they would open up their voice open up their mouth and lift up their voice and they would say stuff. And when Peter did it and they were cut, he said, people just start screaming, what do we need to do to be saved? They were responding from inside. The word is so powerful, it's living, the Bible said, and it's sharp and it went in and cut those people and they lifted up their voice and said, what do we need to do to be saved? Well, the same thing is happening to them. God didn't relinquish his power and go, well, these people, you know, they're not open. He didn't say that. He just still worked. Notice this. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed with their teeth. Wait a minute. They didn't respond the right way so far. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. So he looked up, and it says, and he saw the glory of God. Now, these people knew what the glory of God was. It would appear like a bright light, just like what was on his face, or in the form of a cloud, like a silver cloud. Happened in the Old Testament, happened in the New Testament. And uh, when Jesus got taken up into heaven, remember it said he was received out of sight by a cloud. When I hear people say this, when they look up at the clouds and they go, maybe it's that cloud that he's coming back in. I always say, no, it's not. You know why? Because that's not the kind of cloud he's coming back in. 
You ever read? He's coming back in clouds of glory. That's this kind. It's like bright and powerful. It's not a natural cloud. It's a spiritual cloud. And when it says when he returns, he'll return that way. And here he looked up and he said, behold, I see the glory of God or this bright cloud or like a great light. And it said the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is an unusual statement. Hugely unusual. Because Jesus, the Bible said, is forever seated at the right hand of God until the second coming, then he'll leave that position and come back. He's seated always, always. This time he said, I see him standing. Well, the Bible said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And he stood. That's a whole different program. It may seem like just a little statement. But his earthly ministry is to sit at that place of authority and plead on your behalf to the Father for you. That is his heavenly ministry that he does for every believer. And here he stops and he stands. And he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, or the place of power is right hand. Verse 56, and he said, look, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's not what they wanted to hear. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They did that before when other people preached and said, what do we need to do? This time, they started talking loud, and it said, and they stopped their ears. They just closed off what they were hearing. And think about what they were experiencing. This was not normal speech. They're watching a guy whose face is like an angel. He's speaking words and they're being so cut to the inside. They've got to stop this. They're not liking it because it's going against the way of their life. And they're like, ah! And they lift up their voice and close their ears. And it said they stopped their ears and then they ran at him with one accord. All of them just took off after him to seize him. And then it says in verse 58, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. This is why I like this guy. I was like, this dude's awesome. I mean, he didn't have a long preaching career. But I was like... This guy, there was something that resonated with me. I was like, yeah, let's stand up. Let's be accounted for. I was like, I was back then thinking I'd die for everybody. If I could be the substitute and go to hell, I thought I would do it. I did. I thought that. I didn't even know there was a verse like that in, in Romans 9, 3, 1 through 3, where Paul had said, I have continual sorrow in my heart that if I could be cut off from Christ for their sake, in other words, so that they would be saved. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who have experienced that and know that. Care and love for people. And, and here, they cast them out of the city and notice this in verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
and witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's a huge statement. Saul is who we know later on changes his name to Paul. Paul, this is wild. Paul was there and saw this man's face shine like an angel. Didn't change. Heard this message, cut to the heart, part of the group, doesn't change. Holds the people's coats while they kill him. Still doesn't change. Later on, in the next chapter, goes out to persecute the church and arrest people, throws them in prison and all this. And finally, the Lord appears to him again, and then he changes. Don't freak out if people don't change immediately. And don't freak out if people don't change and think God's not working in them. Recognize if you're praying, God's working. If you're sharing, God's working. The other day I was talking to this guy, and we were talking, I just said, yeah, life's way bigger than all this stuff. And, um, you know, I said, it's really about Jesus. You know, a lot of these people are this way and just looking after natural things. And, and uh, I could tell he, and then he went, he went he, to agree with me, he went, yeah, 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 it's more than this. More than natural. It's about eternity. And it totally, I know, caught him off guard because he didn't know who I was. I didn't know he, who he was. He was like, yeah, yeah. So I shared with him and I drove away and this thought came into my mind. I know who it came from. It wasn't from God and it wasn't from me. There's only one guy left. So now he's going to talk to all his friends about you. You know what that would do for somebody if they left that kind of thought? It would intimidate you the next time. What are people going to think about me? I thought, glory to God, that's awesome. I just laughed at the devil. I said, that's great, because he'll tell them about Jesus and about living for more. So he'll just repeat my sermon to all them that I didn't get to preach to. You know what? All those thoughts left my head, because he didn't want me to talk to him about that. Thank you. But otherwise, you, you, if you're not careful, you get paralyzed. Who cares what other people think? I'm going to give it in love. I'm not going to be mean. That's just, argh, argh, Jesus. Argh. But here, these guys stoned him to death. They left this stuff at Saul's feet, verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, he's watching me, so I'm coming home. My body is going to be left, but receive my spirit. And it said, then he knelt down. I mean, this is why rocks are hitting you. This is why I love this guy. I was like, man, rocks are pounding this guy. And he says this. And the last words that come out of his mouth while he was driving on the freeway were, get out of my way, you idiot. No, it was, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. It's the end of his sermon. It's the end of his life on the earth. Not the end of his life. Nobody's life ends when they die. 
They just go somewhere. And here he said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. I mean, they're killing him. They're going against God. I'm sure he could sense God moving on him. I'm sure he knew what this was all about because he had preached to other people. And he knew God was dealing with them and his face was shining. And he has the Lord appearing to him. And he's like, Lord, forgive him. And it said when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he left his body. When I read this the first time, I remember thinking, this is the dude I'm going to meet. That's who I want to meet. Right here, Stephen. This is the guy. This dude's awesome. Who's so willing to love people unconditionally while they're treating you like dirt and not for you? How many people would go, well, you know, I would preach to them, but they're not nice to me. The reason they're not nice is because they need Jesus. And it's so interesting that his, his unconditional love was actually matching Jesus' unconditional love. What do I mean? Jesus, when he was crucified, remember he said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. People say, well, yeah, that was easy for Jesus. Well, this guy, Stephen, was just like us. And he's like, hey, don't lay this to their charge, Lord. Life was bigger than petty for this guy. Life was bigger than the little things for this guy. So he said, well, this is a pretty big thing. Not when you're talking about God. This isn't a big thing when you're talking about God and talking about eternity for these people. I'll tell you what, God, just don't let them see your glory. Don't let them be cut to the heart. They're just, no, he knew those were the tools God used through him, but his motivating factor was an unconditional love for humanity, and he didn't care what people thought, how they were going to respond. He loved them enough to tell them and to bring them to the message or bring the message to them. And, and he was really acting like God when God gave his own son. He was motivated by love. He loved the world. The world did not deserve it. None of these guys deserved what he preached to them, but he gave it out of love. What's interesting to me is in the middle of his sermon are a few verses that we're going to look at right here that to me are pretty wild. And um, they're not really... We're going to take a truth out of it, but they were not really altogether what he was saying. But it fits where we're talking today is really we're to be an extension of God's unconditional love. And if people are going to experience God and experience his love and experience the message, they're going to have to experience it through us. It's the design of God. Don't you wish it wasn't God's design? So you could just sit back and watch TV and just go, God, go appear to him. And I'll be right here praying while I'm eating nachos. You with me? Notice this. Acts 7, 7 chapter, the 30th verse. And we're going to read just four verses right here. It says, And when 40 years, and this is right in the middle, of his sermon, 
talking about Moses, and he's kind of preaching a little bit about Moses' life, and God's desire to deliver the children of Israel at this point is in his message. It says in verse 30, and when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, or appeared to Moses. We know this story. Most people know the burning bush, you know, story in the Bible. This is where he picks up. He said, appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe it, because we know the story, Moses is cruising along down this path, and all of a sudden he looks over, way off in the distance, he sees this bush burning. And he thought, that's weird. It just keeps burning, and it's not being consumed. So it said he turned and he went. And it said as he turned and he went, it said God watched him as he went. And uh, he goes over to this thing, this bush that's burning, and when he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not to look. I mean, he's all of a sudden like, oh my. I mean, he's scared. When, it, when some things in God are so powerful and real, they can be scary. Not because God's scary, but he's just so awesome. You know, I mean, it's one thing for us to play jokes with a 9-volt battery. For some of us. You know, like, here, lick this. You know, when people don't know and then their tongue gets shocked and you're like, oh, I didn't know that would happen or whatever, oh, I knew. You know, and people play with that. I saw somebody, a picture with somebody with a pierced nose, you know, that had those little things with the ball on each side. And they were asleep and somebody was going to plug that 9-volt battery in there. I thought that would be a joke for sure. Nobody would want to do that. But people may play around with things like that and shock somebody who doesn't know because it's, it's power, but whatever. Nobody's going to go into a nuclear power plant and start goofing around with certain things. Or go to a substation where there's a bunch of transformers and give you a metal bat a baton or whatever and say, play with this in here. Because that stuff will arc, jump, and kill you. There's so much power, you have to respect it. But God's not going to kill us. But I mean, he was like, whoa, this day. Notice this. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Remember, Jesus was moved with compassion. God has seen the world's need here, or his people's need. He said, who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings. You know, there are people in the world who hate us as Christians, but they've been groaning. And God has seen their groaning. And God doesn't say, well, I'll tell you what, they've been being mean to my people, therefore it'll be good for them to rot in hell for eternity. No, God sees their groaning, even though they may cuss and say, I hate Jesus and all this religion is junk. But God sees their groaning. And a groaning is this, an internal call for help. I'm miserable. 
There's got to be more to life. God sees those things. And he doesn't look at people because of their past failures and say, well, they don't deserve this. No, he's motivated by love to reach them. And Stephen was too. And in this message, he preaches this. I have surely seen the oppression of my people that are in Egypt. I've heard the groanings, the groaning of them and have come down to deliver them. Who came down to deliver them? God. He said, I've come down to deliver them. Jesus came down to deliver them. But isn't it interesting? God came down to deliver them. Moses, Moses could have said, well, that's good news. Go get them, God. Notice God's all, I've come down to do this. I'll tell you what, I'm here. He knew he was here. I took my shoes off. The bush is burning. Power of God's there. Whoa. And I've come down to do this. So Moses is probably thinking, this is good. If anybody needs to do it, it's you, God. And then the very next part says, I will send you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send you. Notice that. I'm going to do it, but I am going to send you. So there is an interesting thing right here. God loves the world that he gave his son. He was compelled by love, but then he's trying to get us to do it to or go we should be compelled by love and realize the way God does things is through people. Through people like you and me who are not perfect. Some people need to get addicted to the right thing. Some people think alcohol is the great thing or smoking weed or whatever you want to call it today, doing drugs and all this stuff. That's the great stuff. No, you need to get addicted to something that's real. I remember when I got set free and started experiencing God for real, I thought if I would have known this, I would have never done any of that stuff. If I were to really know, I'm talking what I experienced and was experiencing. I was like, this blows it away. There are just people who haven't gone out there and got addicted to the right thing. You know, there's a scripture in the King James that in, in, about a family in Corinth in the current book of Corinthians, it said they had addicted themselves to the work of God. You can get hooked on this. It's more satisfying than anything. I mean, I looked at his life and thought, well, this would have been cool. I mean, people are talking about partying, doing all this different stuff, doing all these things, experiencing all this stuff. If you really want an experience, go throw yourself in the hands of God and go share with somebody. Get addicted to it. Go bring somebody and let God start working through you. After a while, there will be somewhere you will have an experience that will turn you on. I'm serious. There's no other way to say it. I feel like I'm a drug dealer right now. No, you just got to try it. Seriously, no, I don't want to try that. I know, I know better. I'm not going to try that. And I'm like, no, no, you got to try this, man. Just one time. No, no, I, I can't do that. Not one time. 
Then if somebody does it one time, you know, I remember people doing stuff one time and not much happened. Then do it again, stuff started happening. I'm talking worldly. Try this. But here's the thing, be moved by love for people. If we're not careful, society can infect us in our thinking and think some people are bad and some people are good, some people are this, some people are that. No, God loves the world. Let love for the world motivate you. That doesn't mean you accept everything people do. But it does mean there should be divine love that's without condition that would drive you to reach people. Hallelujah. Get addicted to the right thing. Get addicted to the right thing. There are natural things I've done that I've dreamt of. I know this sounds funny. But I remember one time I had been wanting to catch a certain size bass that was over two feet long and, you know, certain pounds. And that didn't make sense probably to the majority of people. And I remember fishing and uh, I caught one. And I remember reeling it up, catching it. As a matter of fact, there was one person there. He was on this other dock and this fish jumped and he's like, look at that. That's huge. He said, did you see that? I said, it's on my line. I yelled at him. And I kept thinking, I hope this doesn't get snapped off. Because I was using four-pound test line. And uh, I got the fish in, pulled it up. It's over two feet long. Uh, you know, for a largemouth that, that bass, that's, that's pretty good. It's about almost 26 inches. And I remember thinking, cool. You know, I've been working for this. And I mean, within minutes, I went, what is this? what is this? Serious. It was like I got there and I went, what is this? You know, there's so many people who live their lives deceived thinking if I get millions of dollars, I'll be fulfilled. No, you won't. If I win the lottery, I'll be, no, you won't. It'd be better for you to win the lottery quickly. You're like, I'm trying. I'm just saying you're not going to be fulfilled by winning the lottery. You may be more comfortable, but you will not be more fulfilled. How many times do they have sporting programs about famous athletes who have won all different kinds of stuff? NBA, title, whatever. And after they won, they walked out the tunnel and said, I thought it was going to do more to me than it did. It did nothing. So many people think, well, this will be it. I'm telling you, the only thing that will be it is being used by God. It's the greatest. Nothing else.